Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part eight, and the final part for now in the story of Jeremy and Zachary Kane and Mark Harper three teenage boys who were found guilty of the murder of Jimmy Hill in 2002 and sentenced to 35 years in prison. Over 20 years later, Jeremy and Zach are still incarcerated for this crime, a crime they say was self-defence. In our last episode, we heard the moment that the boys were all found guilty for murder. And as you can imagine, the scene in the courtroom was one of utter devastation for the boys and their families. A local news reporter who would write an article about that day would describe how tearful jurors would be led from the courtroom while the boys sobbed and pleaded to go home. Once found guilty, the boys would be taken in handcuffs into a room to see their parents before they were taken into custody. What they did was they took took us into custody, put handcuffs on us, they cleared the courtroom, they they removed the jury, then they cleared the courtroom, and then they put us in the jury room and then allowed our parents to come in and see us for a few minutes and then took us to jail. Wow, that, that few minutes with your family must have been awful. Yes, it was pretty brutal. I mean, jail was 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 was, was rough. Um, and it was all it was all bad. I mean, at that age, at that time, 
Uh, it, I mean, it was rough. I mean, I, I really feel sorry for the young people that come to prison today because the prison system today is, is a whole lot worse. Um, it was bad then, for, especially for someone young. But um, it's, 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 you know, it's really bad now. But, I mean, I just know, like, when we come in, you know, coming in at that age, being, and we went straight into the major facilities. Like, we weren't, there was no, you know, area to put us with younger people or none of that. It was straight in with grown men. Um, and then, you know, being that age and stuff, um, and especially being white in, in this prison system, you know, it, it was very difficult. What jail did they ship you off to, and how long were you there for before you were sentenced? Uh, I was in the Birmingham, well, Jefferson County Jail. They have two different jails. They have Bessemer and Birmingham. And we were in the Bessemer Division, and we got sentenced about six weeks later. And then we were there. I think I was there, it was March 8th, and I want to say in May I went to prison. I think I got sentenced in April. Yeah, sometime around my birthday in April we got sentenced. And then we all went to prison together. But, like, the entire time, my brother and the, and the co-defendant, Morris, they were always together. In the county jail, they were on the same floor. When we went to prison, they went to the same prison. But I was separated the entire time. But at that time, um, they did not allow family members to be in the same prison. And that's changed now. But back then, you couldn't do that. So I was separated the entire time by myself, didn't know anyone. And I never knew anybody went to prison. I mean, I... It's part of town and stuff I lived in. There was not people weren't going to prison, so it was it was, it was a big deal. It was just a smaller town, and it was a really really big deal when someone died in that town. It was just a never happened before type situation. So while Jeremy would go it alone and have to watch his own back, Zach and Mark at the time had each other. Here's Zach. Do you remember your first yeah, day arriving prison. at the facility? Oh, in prison, yeah, like it was yesterday. But in my mind, I told myself, I told myself in the county, I talked to dudes in the county that's been, that's been to uh, prison, and they were like, man, look, you just got to fight, you got to do what you got to do, and just stay strong. I'm like, okay. So I created this whole new image of Zach. So in my mind, I'm, I'm a tough guy. I'm not going to be messed with. So the first thing I do, I go, everybody's scared to get in the shower. First thing I do, I go jump in the shower. Try me, you know, like, like try me, come on, what's up? You know, and I never had no problems. I get to, uh, that was at Kilby. That was my first day. I remember, like it was yesterday, I seriously, I remember the first meal I ate, sweet and sour chicken with rolls. It wasn't really sweet and sour chicken. It was some dried cardboard meat with some sweet and sour sauce in it and some rice, but they called it sweet and sour chicken. And I thought the rolls were so good. I was like, oh my God, it's way better than the county jail. <laughs> so we went to the, me and, me and Mark was in, we was in Cuba together. My brother was on the whole other side of the prison. They wouldn't let me and him be in the camp together. And we left there and went to Draper. And the warden called me up front and said, all I want you to do is fight. He told me. He said, I want you to fight. He said, you're the youngest kid in my prison ever been in one of my prisons. He said, I want you to fight. And he said, you're not going to get in trouble. So that's what I did. Anytime somebody got wrong, I fought. And I fought some more and I fought some more until I didn't have no problems anymore. I mean, you, you, you get told to don't take crap from nobody. I'm talking officers, inmates, whatever. You don't take crap. You don't. You don't back down. You don't do none of that. So I got to create this image. I'm this super tough kid, and I'm fighting grown men. You know, like I'm fighting forty year olds, thirty year olds. I'm fifteen. 
insane situation to be told that by the warden that he wants you to fight. Yeah, he told me to fight. He said, don't stab nobody. He said, I don't want you. Don't stab nobody. Don't uh, break in no boxes. 38 is, is masturbation on women, and I'm definitely not going to do that. And he said, as long as you don't do that three right there, he said, if you fight, I'll let you out of jail. He, I fight, he'd let me out. I might not even go to jail because I was so young. They did, now, lockup is what I mean by jail. Yeah. Uh, solitary confinement. After a while, like, even a, even a, an officer, a sergeant there that called me up front and said anything I needed, I could have. Because his son, the guy I killed, his son was putting a beat almost to death by this guy. There was a sergeant down there, the old dude named Sergeant And he was there for about a year when I first got there. And he pretty much told me, he said, you did the world a favor. And I said, no, I didn't. I said, I, I know you feel like that, but uh, to me, killing somebody is not doing the world a favor. Justice, the judicial system should have been had him in prison. He should have never been out there. You're a kid walking into a man's world. You don't know anyone. I mean, that I just can't even imagine that. It must just be absolutely horrendously stressful. I was very, very stressful. I mean, I was on, I think I ended up losing about like 125 pounds probably by the time I got to prison because I was, I mean, I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. I didn't know what to do. I mean, it was very bad. It was a, it was a bad situation. So the first prison that you went to, what, what was that like arriving there on day one? Oh, I mean, it was, um, I mean, it was just a shock. I mean, I don't, I mean, I come in, um, I mean, the first, the first prison I went to was a receiving facility and, and you go there and they, I mean, they pretty much, they humiliate you pretty bad because they make you, um, they, they strip search you, they spray you with some stuff, some chemicals and stuff and they make you get in a shower with a whole group of men, um, you know, and, and it's pretty humiliating. Uh, I think they've, they changed the way they do that now. That's the way it was then. And then they just throw you some jump, you know, like a jumpsuit to put on. And they, you know, they tear up all your property and they throw all your stuff away, all your pictures and family. And they just treat you like crap. Uh, shave your head. I mean, it was, it was pretty rough. And then they just, after that, they take you through process and they put you in a dorm for like a week or two, do a bunch of blood work to see if you have any diseases or anything. Or so they put you in general population and they put you, after about two weeks of that, they put you in general population. And it's, it's, it's a receiving facility, so you don't need to stay there very long. I have stayed like nine months. Usually, only stay there about a couple of months. Um, my brother and, and, and the other co-defendants, they were on there about three months, and then they left and went off to another facility. And and then about I think I was there about nine months, and I went to a, another major facility. And then you know I got there, and the way they tend to do things when you're new to a facility, they usually put you in some of the worst the worst dorms until the officer to get to know you or whatever and see if you're a troublemaker or not. I was thrown into, you know, one of the worst storms. And, then, you know, I had several situations with, with inmates and stuff to you know, defend myself and stop myself from being robbed and uh, raped or whatever, which luckily I never was raped or anything. You know, I, I did have situations where I had to fight to prove that, you know, you weren't just, I wasn't going to be that guy that's just, just going to get in and, and be somebody's wife or something in here. So at that time, the way the system was, it threw you out there and if you fought and defended yourself, the police, you didn't get disciplinary infractions and stuff. I think it was expected. You know, they let you just figure it out for yourself. Just go in there and do whatever you got to do to survive. You went in as a youngster, mm-hmm. very susceptible mm-hmm. to 
gangs and, and all that that goes on in prison. How did you avoid all of that? I mean, I just tried to stay away from it best I could. And when I came to prison, things are different. Now, it's a lot worse now than it was when I come to prison. I mean, not like it was a piece of cake back then or anything, but um, basically when I came to prison, if, as long as you stood up for yourself, I mean, I had to get in fights and stuff, um, then you pretty much didn't have major, major problems. If you weren't involved, I don't, I don't, you know, the main thing is don't be involved in drugs. Don't borrow money. Don't, don't give anybody a reason to want to do you harm because they look for an excuse. They try to attack you from any angle they can. If they find a way to get in, they'll justify it in their mind because you borrowed, say, I don't know, uh, one suit, which would be like a dollar, roughly. They would try to, you know, use that as an excuse to, oh, now you owe me 10 or you owe me 100 or just as an excuse to prey on. If they think you're weak, they're just going to use that to prey on you. Um, so, it, you know, it was, it was, it was difficult, but I just, I refuse to be involved in that stuff. I mean, a lot of, so to me, is if you join a gang, it's because you're scared or you need help or you want help. And I didn't want to be involved in that. And they, most of the gang stuff, they just, especially the younger people, they just use them. They're going to use you for your money. They're going to use you for if you can fight really well. They're going to use you to do their, their fighting for them. Um, they're going to use you any way they can, you know. So that's how I avoided it. I'm more, to me, more of a, not a follower. Um, and a lot of people here are followers. And that's just not, not me. And, I mean, it, you know, it wasn't easy. So I, had, I definitely got in, you know, quite a good bit of fights and stuff. And that was another thing when the prison I was at, being as I was young and, and white, um, it made, you know, made it harder. And where I was at, you know, if I got in fights and stuff, they usually, I didn't get right up to disciplinary action or whatever for it because they knew 99% of the time that I didn't have a choice. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here's how Mark remembers his first days after being found guilty. So you get the 35 years and they, they ship you off to, to prison. Do you remember the first day at, at the prison they sent you to? We do like four more months in the county. We'd catch the train down to the processing center killing. And Jeremy has always been separate from me and Zach. Like in uh, the county, uh, I'm in a G block. I can look through the glass and through where the officers stay, and I can see another block, and Zach would stick his head in every now and then and wave, you know? So I know he's like, he's all right. You know, like we check on each other like that. But Jeremy was on like the eighth floor, and uh, <laughs> it's crazy, but if you flush the toilets, you know, uh, you can you can hear the people on the floors below, and uh, so we communicate like that. So at that time, we go to the processing center, and he goes to some other part of the prison there, and me and Zach are uh, together in this dorm, this M dorm, and uh, we do three months there. Uh, I like a week prior to before we got shipped, I got robbed by some uh, gang members and uh, I went to go confront them and uh, they got out of hand. I got to embrace that like animal in me. You know what I mean? Like I got to be nastier than these nastiest people in there. Yeah. So they locked him up and locked me up for a day but then brought me back to the the dorm and then that following week man, that get shipped out And uh, fortunately, I was supposed to go to another prison, but we, I guess that incident made me catch the train quicker and we went to the same prison. And I couldn't believe it, you know, having Zach with me. That, that was like a big confidence thing in there. Yeah, absolutely. at the time, he was the youngest prisoner in Alabama, and I'm the third youngest prisoner. Zach said to me that he was, in fact, told by the warden himself that um, he had to fight. He had no option, really, and he, he wanted him to fight uh, and to stick up for himself. Right. Like, it, I say he would not fight, and I feel sorry for the people. And, you know, they'll, they'll end up throwing them in the shower and, and you know, have 10, 15 people run up, you know, rape them. It's disgusting, you know what I mean? And, you know, you got officers that are part of gangs, or correctional officers, you know. Uh, you got, the whole thing's corrupt, you know. Like where I was at, there's probably 1,400 black people, 500 white people. But you just see white people just get done wrong. But we made it a point to establish respect in there. We're doing good, but we're also catching disciplinaries. Could imagine how many Zach's got now. Him and Mark went to the same prison, but. Um, I went to a different prison, so I didn't know anyone. And they expected you to fight. I mean, they wanted you to. If you didn't, and they knew that you were 
not going to do very well. Um, because I mean, the, the people they're going to they're going to send people at you from any angle possible. Like it's going to be try to loan you something, try to get you high. Um, they send people. They'll pay people to try, try to steal your stuff to see if you're going to fight about your stuff. Um, to see if you're going to go tell the police to see. They're just every way they can and just to try to. Um, wear you down and, and, and take advantage of you. You're and constantly then, being tested. I mean, most constantly. And if if they see that you're weak or you won't stand up for yourself, then in the end you're going to end up being. You're not. I mean, the bare minimum you're not going to be to have anything. I mean, anything you buy, they're just going to take from you, um, and that kind of thing. And then if you're, you know, if you're too weak, then you're going to end up having. You know, you're going to be involved in the homosexual side of things where you know i guess in here they call it, you'll have a man or something or if you don't stand up for yourself you're going to have somebody else protect you them you know for you that's the you know kind of crazy thing because i end up in this altercation with this man and end up in prison for the stuff that he did to mark and then i come here and you you know i'd never even thought or seen or nothing anything like that and then i get to prison and then it's like that type of stuff is almost normal um you know, not, not 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 exactly what he did, but I mean the the verbiage, the way he was talking, um, and acting, and that kind of thing. And that's the type of stuff that you would see in here. And then I'm like, I just you know, I'm, now I'm in a situation where like, okay, I've got to fight to defend myself, but I don't need somebody accidentally dying again. Or now I'm even in worse shape. Luckily, in all the altercations since then, luckily no one's died. But it can, you know it changes from that point. Just if you get in a fight, not a problem. If someone dies, now it's a whole other thing. Oh, well, even though you're defending yourself, now you're fixing to get all kind of trouble and and write-ups and say, and you're probably going to get a charge. And a lot of times, I mean, there's a lot of people, sadly, especially nowadays, not nearly as bad as when we first come in, but that that die and get killed, and the person that does it, a lot of times, don't even get any trouble. Um, or it's very minor for what they did. It's ridiculous today. I mean, the last five to ten years, it's it's gotten a whole lot worse. And you know, for someone coming in the age we were coming in now, I mean, I don't know how how they can make it without killing someone or getting killed. It's just it's that bad. Yo, like they already know who we are before we even hit the back gate to this place called Draper. And they're like, oh, the bad boys are here. You know, and you could just see, like, it go throughout the thing, the prison. So they think they got some fresh white dudes. They got to, I guess, rape and all that. So they, they found out real quick that we ain't the one. So when we first come in, as long as you just, as long as you fought for yourself, then that was usually enough. Um, as long as you didn't get involved in anything, extra like drugs or borrowing or gambling and that kind of thing as long as you stood up for yourself it was enough now if you get involved in that then it's, it's all better off because if you owe somebody or something then you might have you know this gang or that gang or this, this city it's usually more or less cities you have gangs but it's, in alabama it's more what city you're from if you're from a major city and say you owe this guy in this city uh ten dollars which been here they say items or tops or cigarettes or coffee or whatever but what if say ten dollars and you don't have the money to pay them on time and they're going to send people to jump on you and it might be ten people so as long as you don't get involved in that kind of thing then most of the time ends up being a one-on-one situation 
And usually when you take up for yourself, people would step in at some point. Okay, we see he's not going to back down. Leave him alone. Find somebody else that's weaker. Um, you know, so if, if, you're, if you're the type of person that's trying to rob, steal, or take advantage of people, you obviously want to find the easiest route to go. But, but nowadays, it really don't matter. They don't care. If you have something someone wants um, in these major facilities, I mean, they're gonna, I mean, they'll do pretty much anything. They'll try to kill you to get, if, they have something, if you have something that they want. It's that messed up nowadays. You go into prison in the South where there is a high population of African-Americans. Were you outnumbered when it came to race? Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, today, it's, it's closer to like maybe... 60, 40. Right. But when I come in, it was probably more like 80, 80, 80 20, 85, 15. So, yeah, it was very, it was, uh, that made it a lot more difficult uh, for sure. I mean, it, but it's, it's worse today than then. But, I mean, but not the ratios, but it's just worse all around. And that definitely plays a huge role. Um, it's, it's ridiculous that it does, but in Alabama especially, and I'm sure most of the South, uh, race is, is a very big role. I would say, Pretty much all the circumstances I got in was was black versus white. Yeah. Every time. It's ridiculous, but that's how it is. What was your first port of call when it came to appeals? What What was your first attempt with an, an appeal? Um, we had a, a, a Rule 32, I believe, that was filed initially because that's a whole other thing like there's stuff missing from my transcript, but the lawyers that was instant where the district attorney during closing arguments made a reference to us not testifying. He got up there and was doing his closing argument and said, well, what we're saying has got to be true because they didn't get up here and tell you anything different. They must have done it. You know, and that's, that's a blatant prosecutorial misconduct. It should have been an automatic mistrial. And all the lawyers objected and made a huge fuss about it. We didn't really understand what was going on. We had to explain it to us. So they all wrote affidavits saying what they heard, and it should have been an automatic mistrial. Well, they get the transcripts back, and it's not in the transcripts. And then the lawyers go and meet with the stenographer and supposedly get the recording, the, the audio recording, and listen to it and say that they misheard what he said. But we never could get a copy of, the, of that tape. So all we have to go on is the actual transcript. And I can, there was some other things that was missing in there also, and... I don't remember what they're on the top of my head now. That's just the main one I remember. And the transcripts and stuff were doctored to make sure we couldn't win anything on an appeal. And, you know, the, the lawyers, just, they just sold us out. They just backed out. Like, oh, no, we misheard it. We're, we're wrong. Everybody in the courtroom heard it. There wasn't no mishearing it. We heard what was said. Y'all made a huge deal out of it. We never would have realized it was wrong if they didn't object to it. But the objections, none of that stuff's in the transcript. It's all gone. Yeah, and right. when you try to use that in appellate reasons, the appellate courts just go by what's in the, in the record of, of the transcript. And if it's not in there, you can't appeal on the ground. And then there's another another situation. You know, like I had told my mom and my dad both, anytime they talk to someone, make sure they record it. Well, my mother went and spoke with the district attorney after my, my Rule 32 was denied, I figured out that I was incarcerated, and, and, and he asked her why we did not take the deal of a 20-5. And she said well, she was not in, she never knew of any deal. I filed in court on that and went back on that ground, and when the judge asked the district attorney, I said, was there ever any deal offered? The district attorney said, oh, no, there's never any deal offered. But he just told my mother six weeks prior that he offered us a deal. 
but Bernard never told me about it. So he just flat out lied. That's just what they do. I don't, I don't understand why. Uh, I mean, I mean, I know why. They, they're, they're politicians. They can't admit they withheld something or changed something or lied about something. They, they can't say any of that. Um, because they'll, they'll, they'll lose everything. You know, lose their jobs, their pensions, they'll lose everything. If they, if they can be shown or proven that they tampered with evidence or anything like that, so they're, they're not going to do that. In the boys' current situation, they are and have been eligible for parole on several occasions. Each time they come up for that parole, people who were originally involved in the trial and the case are asked for their opinions on if they believe that the boys should be granted their release. Prosecutors, police, judges and family members all have the right of response. Apparently in these situations, there really is only one person who continues to object and that is Mr. Hill's former wife. Here's the boy's father. Well, every, every time they come up for parole, his wife, his ex-wife, they'd only been married seven months. She's there protesting every time. She's there, she's there, she's there. And I don't even understand why. I don't understand what, I've never done nothing to this woman. I've never said anything bad about her. I've never done, I don't even know her. You know, I don't understand what her vindictiveness is towards my kids. My kids never done nothing to her. And her husband done all this stuff to himself, as far as I'm concerned. But she's there every time to make sure they don't get And this next time when we go, I'm going to have a big portfolio, and I'm going to give it all to the people up there on the parole board. I'm going to say, here, this is what this woman is harping about. Here's his, here's his background right here. I've got, I've got folders and folders of what he did. Of course, the opinions of those involved in the case are not the only reason that they may or may not be granted parole. And according to the boys, parole in the Alabama prison system is essentially non-existent. You've gone for parole a few times and, you know, obviously have not been successful. Um, <laughs> Nobody makes parole in Alabama yeah. anymore. Yeah. Especially for, for supposed violent crimes, yeah? Yeah, I mean, any crime. There's nobody making parole. Yeah. You can have... Now there's nobody. I mean, they're not letting nobody out on parole. They, they might say they are, but the people they're picking, like, for mandatory release... I just watched them do mandatory release. People had a year or less, and they were letting them go... And I'm in Limestone Prison. This is before I got here. I was in Limestone Prison. It's the worst prison in the state. And you're letting people out of lockup to go home. It's got stabbing cases. It's got drug charges. It's got all kinds of stuff they've been caught with in prison. It's not getting charged for it. Literally, like, getting caught with ounces of drugs and stabbing people and robbing people and whatever it may be, fighting, fighting with a weapon, whatever. And guess what? They're letting them out. They're letting them out. Those are the people that are letting them out. The people that makes parole, I watched a guy in Staten, this is back before before they stopped people from getting out, because they, they just quit now. But this is, let's see, 2018, yeah, about 2018. There was a guy there stabbed a guy the day before he went up for parole. He made parole. Still has a disciplinary. Made parole. Four weeks later, he stabs another guy the day before he goes home. They just put him in a holding cell until they release him the next morning. Oh, Same the people they want to let out on the street. Because they want people to re, uh, to, to, to come offend. back. They want them to yeah. commit crimes so they can justify the reason of keeping people in prison. Yeah, now the way the system is here, it's up to us. It's a three-panel board, and the decision is entirely up to, entirely up to them. Whatever they want to do, um, it's yes or no. 
they got to give them a reason why they don't say they don't give it to you. It's whatever they feel like. And currently, with the political situation in the state right now, um, there was a guy that was on parole about four years ago that was uh, that that killed someone while on parole. Oh, and no. since then, no violent. And he didn't he didn't have a violent offense, but they punished all the violent offenders for what he did, and he had a burglary offense. But they just went back. Oh, we can't have anybody out of prison on parole with, with a violent offense because they might commit another violent offense, even though it's statistically proven that most violent offenders don't reoffend. It's the non-violent offenders that reoffend the most. So they're, they're, they're worried about, well, you, you committed one violent offense, there's a possibility you might do it again, so we just ain't going to let you out because we don't want to be responsible. As Jeremy has stated to me in the past, he really believes that the only way they'll ever get themselves back into court is for any of the witnesses to come forward and say that the DA at the time instructed them on what to say, especially the main witnesses, Chris Stano or Paul Gillian. And this is his message to them, if they're listening. I mean, for Chris, you know, I mean, I can, you know, I can understand the situation. He was a kid and didn't have, you know, they threatened him with sending him to prison for the rest of his life and he's doing what he was told to do. And I, I kind of understand it, but you're a grown man now, so... Uh, I think, you know, it'd be time for you to man up and, and just tell the truth. And Paul Gillian, I don't know what made him do what he did. I don't understand it. Whatever it was that made him say what they wanted him to say, whether he thought maybe he was doing the right thing, or I don't know what he thought. Because, I mean, I, I do feel like with him, I mean, obviously he don't know the whole circumstance. He saw whatever bit he saw. I know he didn't say as much as he tried to talk about in court, but, you know, maybe because someone died, maybe he felt he was doing the right thing, or what, I don't know what he felt, but I just wish he would realize that he made a mistake and just tell the truth. You know, with the whole truth, if the, guilt, if the jury would have found me guilty and they both told the truth about what happened, then obviously I'd feel a little different about him that 12 people thought that, based on the truth, that I did something wrong. But I just don't feel like if they know everything that people will feel that way. You know what you did and do the right thing. That's really all I want to ask of either of them. Um, tell the truth. That's all I ask for. I don't know nothing else, just the truth. Both of them know that that's not what they did. But other than that, that's, that's really about it. Um, As we know, Mark would eventually get out of prison after his attorney puts through an appeal based on medical grounds. Here's Mr Kane, Jeremy and Zach's father. He didn't take a deal. His lawyer made him a deal that he was going to get out in three years. When he was in prison with my son, he was in prison, always in prison with Zachary. Zachary called us up and said, Mark keeps telling, telling, asking his daddy when he's going to get out. He's not going to get out till you get out. I said, he's going to be in there for the whole time. And then he said, then he called me up one, then he called us up one time and said, Mark's having a fit with his daddy. He said he's supposed to be out within three years. I'm thinking, what in the hell is, what he, he, I said, there's no such thing, Zachary. He's not getting out in three years. Sure enough, he got out in three years. Now, the reason for him to get out, this is what his uh, appeal was or whatever it was. 
He couldn't take his medication for his bipolar, so therefore he couldn't testify in his own defense. Okay, the trial is consolidated. He was supposed to testify in our defense too, right? So why is the same appeal no good for us but good for him? If he couldn't take his medicine, couldn't testify for his own self, he couldn't testify for our behalf either. But that was turned down for us, but it wasn't turned down for him. You know, I haven't spoke to Mike basically since the day that happened, but, you know, he 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 met with a woman that's the deceased husband I know once or twice. Uh, I found that out later. I don't know how much money he gave her. Or I don't know nothing about no money. This is just all speculation. But it basically, she sat off on it. He walked away. So, uh, you know, I don't know. reasons for overturning his time he got 35 years and then they take his 35 years away and give him a 25 time served he only did three years on it because his medication problems i was having medication problems i was on adderall which was messing me up and it, it made me angry and they took me off of that and i was in the process of getting put on something else but at the time i was having just like real bad just i don't know i was getting angry all the time but no that don't that don't matter but that's the reason you let him out but you don't let me out. I mean, for the same reason. Me, me and him don't. I ain't talked in so long, and I think he, you know, when I met when I was in there, you know, like I made it a point to like, like I appreciate what you did, Zach, but ultimately we both got us hit. Brother didn't, Stano didn't, and like you know, looking at each other eye to eye, like like we swallowed that. You know, like we're here for thirty five. You know what I mean? So we made amends back then, but it wasn't until. You know, I I got out, uh, you know, he, which I can, you know, I can see. That's why I don't fault him for nothing. But I got him there. It's all on me and this and that. You know, if I was him, I'd probably blame it on you too. You know? So you think he yeah. is? He's resentful of you? Yeah. You know you're the reason I'm in prison. And to be fair, Mark, he did say that he he does because I said to him, "Look, do you have guilt over this situation over the fact the boys are still in prison?" And he did say, "Yes, I, I do. I do have guilt every single day that you know the reason that they're in prison is because of my feud with this family." Yeah, he has. He has. Yeah, I, I mean, he don't care. In my personal opinion. This is the story of the Kane brothers for now. But as always, we will keep you up to date with their situation. And of course, if there's anyone listening to this who would like to offer some information that you think could be helpful for the boys, you can get in touch with me through email or Facebook, the details of which are in the description of this episode. 
Jeremy and Zach are two brothers that obviously have a strong bond and love each other very much. In fact, Zach says the reason he swung the bat that day was to protect his brother. It was an act that would see them both in prison. But what if you believed that your brother was the one that put you in prison on purpose? And that's the second I knew that Don and Mattioli were setting me up. I never knew until then. Stephen Lawrence believes his own brother framed him for the murder of their father. It reminded me of the godfather when I walked in and saw him sitting in there in that black suit with two armed guys next to him. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production, created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of Earsay. Earsay.